We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and learn, and pay respect to the First Nations peoples and their elders past, present, and future. We're recording on Gadigal land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi there, and welcome to The Green Room, a euphony podcast powered by Yamaha headphones taking you backstage and behind the scenes with musicians, actors, and comedians from around the globe. Your host, Yana Speeder, here with you once again. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today, whether it is your first time tuning in or maybe you've been in it for the long haul. Either way, I am stoked to spend a bit of time with you and bring another really fun chat with a total industry legend today. But before we kick off today's episode, a brief recap of last week's episode. It was the Green Room's first ever ep for 2022, and I was joined by none other than Dave Bailey, frontman extraordinaire for beloved UK band Glass Animals, and a man who just adores Australia, as was very evident in our chat. And there are countless Glass Animal fans here, very patiently waiting until the band's biggest Aussie headline shows will kick off in July this year. They'll also be at Splendour in the Grass, of course. Entirely good times ahead, and who knows what insane streaming or chart records their monster track heatwaves will have broken by then. That song just continues to stagger with each passing week. But still on the topic of UK artists who love Australia, today my guest spent some time declaring his love for Australia and Aussie fans during our chat, but the love in return is a global phenomenon, and the story is the stuff of legends. Twin brothers Matt Goss and Luke Goss combined forces in the 1980s, armed with leather jackets, bandanas and razor-sharp pop under the moniker Bross. And in the blink of an eye, the brothers Goss became household names, going on to become the youngest artist to ever headline at the hallowed Wembley Stadium in London, whilst also attracting mania-level adoration, courtesy of their heartthrob looks and monster classics like When Will I Be Famous, Drop the Boy and I Owe You Nothing. But behind the swift success and pop icon status Bross attained, an entirely different story was playing out behind the scenes. One of discord and constant media scrutiny, coupled with usual family clashes and the stresses of fame, ultimately leading to the band breaking up in the early 1990s, much to the dismay of their legions of often screaming fans. It hasn't been all doom and gloom, though, with 2016 bringing the tantalising news that the brothers Goss would be mounting a hotly anticipated reunion show the following year. And, of course, Bross returned to the stage. The world was gifted as well with a substantial inside look into what went into that end result, courtesy of the BAFTA award-winning 2018 documentary Bross After the Screaming Stops. And for a limited time right now, Aussie fans and music fans alike can finally watch this incredible doco. It is currently available on SBS On Demand for a limited time. If you didn't catch it already, this is an absolute must-watch for Bross fans, but also just for general music fans, honestly. Offering a raw and at times confronting exploration into the personal and professional hurdles that both Goss brothers face throughout their careers, After the Screaming Stops also authentically allows the world to see true humanity on display, alongside a desire to understand, heal and leave your ego at the door. 2022 will now see Matt Goss release a brand new solo album, The Beautiful Unknown, channeling his lessons that he honed via his acclaimed Las Vegas residency, alongside the promise of many solo and potential Bross live shows as well, 
and happily, Australia are firmly in their sights. But before this latest chapter unfolds, the man himself, Mr. Matt Goss, joins me now to chat fame, family, authenticity and beyond. Well, I now have the amazing Matt Goss joining me on the green room. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the other side of the planet today. It is such a pleasure to chat to you. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I kind of always like to think that I know what I'm doing with these, but I almost don't know where to start with you. You're having such an incredible start to the year. Like obviously the incredible Bros Doco is now finally streaming in Australia. We've finally been able to watch it and you've got a new album on the way, but first and foremost, how are you? How is 2022 treating you so far? I think that I think a lot of people have entered into this year with a lot more optimism because there is at least a sense um of having some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. So also knowing that I've got the album launch coming, you know, the first quarter of this year. And also I've just been talking about almost 55 dates, live shows. So that's the first time in two years that's been spoken of. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm excited. You know, I'm excited to just feel like that I'm going to be able to go back into the world of being a musician again and, and, and an entertainer and actually connect with people again. So it's exciting to me. I've done, I did a show in London a month ago and it was amazing. It felt good. So um, just, I'm just taking it slow and steady, you know, but, but I'm still, I'm always, I'm an optimist. So that always helps. I think it is the best way to be, especially after what we've all been through and after your incredible trajectory that has led you to here and, Interestingly, you brought up London because I guess to start off talking about after the screaming stops, I know it's been kicking around out there for years. It's an award-winning doco. It's a must-watch for any music fan, whether you're a diehard Bros fan or not. And the story obviously is legendary. Your legacy is astronomical. But what really resonated so strongly for me was not just the music and the return to form that that performance back in 2017 was, but just the reality of fame and family laid so bare and so authentically, but also how significantly that fan connection has just endured and bypassed so much bullshit this industry can hurl at artists. But can you tell me that moment that you and Luke emerged on stage at that London performance that we see in this doco that culminates there, what was truly going through your head at that moment? Because it just looked like a once in a lifetime moment. Yeah, it was. Well, thank you. So eloquently put, but um, the reality of of that of that documentary leading up to that live show there was such a tremendous amount of pain and a tremendous amount of uh two different languages that, that were just i didn't know his language and he didn't know mine and then we didn't know each other's level of pain um it was just like doing therapy in front of the world and it was so raw it was it was so uncomfortable to watch that documentary for the first time but what gave me great solace in some ways was just that people would constantly come up to me and say we're not the only family that's dysfunctional it was it was we kind of let people know that we were just as dysfunctional as anybody else and I think it felt like at times an impossible gig I wish we'd done it sooner um but you know standing underneath that stage before we went out to 22,000 plus people for a couple of nights and having sold it out in seven seconds it was surreal and just to have that raw and that anticipation of, of the production that we had we had a very big production on that show 
had over 150 people filming it and and and, and part of it. And um, it was just epic. And I think that's what Ross does it its best, really. We've always created massive moments and we've always created mayhem. And I think that's what that night was. It was an it was an organized madness. And and when we came through the bottom of the stage, um, it was just game on, really. It was just like having my brother back on stage with me after doing 27 years of shows without him. It just was, as you said, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Um, but luckily we both agreed that we have, we will never leave the band and we want to tour again, if not this year, definitely next year. Oh, that's a little bit of goosebump moments just for me there. That's very exciting to hear and it's amazing to see how much you guys got out of it, but obviously for the fans as well. And as you mentioned, like obviously no family is perfect, but it kind of made me feel a little bit better because it's like it's been a really rough couple of years for all of us and you do sometimes find yourself thinking, is it just me? Like are we the only ones that are you know, riffing each other and saying horrible things, but not meaning it and, you know, having these misunderstandings. So I'm not happy that you had to go through it publicly, but it really resonated as much as your music did as well. So it's a very, very courageous thing to do, but I'm so glad that it actually ended up being something positive for you guys as well. And hopefully, you know, it's leading to something even more incredible. So I think, I think the family has an, an uncanny knack of pushing the wrong buttons at the right time yep. <laughs> and you know all the buttons <laughs> yeah and you're just like and as i said in the film if anyone else had said that to me i would have got a baseball bat and knocked their fucking head off yep. and and i just think that you know but I, I think the one thing about family is is that certainly with my brother he's the love of my life and we've gone through such loss and we we really came and i would highly you know try and enforce this anyone that's listening to this just trust me that no argument is worth losing somebody you really love it just isn't worth it and if you can find out and figure out each other's language and communicate and just the common denominator was that we didn't want to lose each other you know i mean that's really and if you can get to a to z quicker so many people love to argue and get go through that process if you really think about it, like you don't want to lose the person you love. And I think that's what we got from the film. We just, we try, at least try, not always, it doesn't always work, but we, uh, we at least try to, we at least try now to get to A to Z and that is a place of forgiveness and healing. So, mm, And there's so much hope for people who are having those moments and you think it's never going to mend, but to see you guys be able to do it, because you're throwing in a lot of other stresses as well that a lot of us don't have like the, very, very significant trajectory to fame and all of the stresses and all the other personal stuff you had alongside with it. So there's a lot of hope there. So I'm holding out hope for my own family. <laughs> but with the doco as well, like the fan footage in there just looks like something out of, you know, a movie. It's almost like such a sensationalist thing. There's genuine mania, like people crying, passing out, screaming, and it's not just back in the heyday. It's still happening. And I guess for you guys, there was no slow learning curve for yourself like within six months you were globally known bros was a phenomenon but seeing that human connection that you guys maintained with the fans and seeing how generous you and luke were as well like you're taking photos and giving hugs and signing body parts the whole time like what do you think is the secret to that enduring legacy and connection because you don't honestly see that still happening in this current modern music industry yeah i mean i think that it it, it, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, it was just basically more rock and roll back then. It was, I remember watching the film and there was this, I don't know if you remember it, but there was this 
maybe 10 second clip of just this stream of human beings running at full speed past the camera. And even I thought, when's this stream of people going to stop? And it didn't stop. And um, it, it was it, it was extraordinary in some, a lot of the clips. There was a brilliant answer from a fan in Australia that said, um, I think the journalist said, what would you say if I hadn't have heard of Bros yesterday? And the fan immediately said, I would say, I would say that you were born yesterday. That moment, oh my God, like the most eloquent way to put it. That was yeah. perfection. And it came out of her mouth. That as, 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 it was a perfect answer. Like if I, I mean, better than any answer I've ever given. And, um, but I think that to, to answer your question about connection, I think it's about, it is simply that. It's a, I live in a place of wonderment. I've always, I've often wondered why, you know, that there was interest in my life or my brother's life or, you become famous and you become this person that people really, you know, in some ways understand and know and feel very familiar with. I've always felt that as a, as a position of privilege. So for me, knowing that just me going on my live Instagrams and connecting with people that were going through really, I made a promise to my fans that, and people, frankly, that were not fans of mine as well that would come on my Instagram, just a, a familiar face is which is guess really all I am is you know it's good to get into a restaurant and connect with people but it's uh it, I realized that it's it's a real blessing that, that, that a familiar face can actually help um break down the walls of maybe uh you know hopefully or at least enhance their courage where they can talk about personal things and a familiar face like mine did that 300 times over covid i got to see their families i get their kids their boyfriends their husbands their wives um and i got to have a true understanding of what people were going through during covid and that was the reason i decided to make a new record because i think if you live in a place where you know that you're privileged then you can you can crack on with actually the connection rather than thinking you're above anyone which I'm certainly not well you give so much in so many ways too and I mean it's something to say that you actually have that self-awareness and are using it to good and the fact that you could turn the gloom of the pandemic to good by creating this new album like obviously we don't know exactly when yet but we do have your fifth solo studio album the beautiful unknown due out this year we have had a sneak peek with somewhere to fall but you have spoken about in the past with songwriting specifically that sometimes it can be a really quick process and songs can suddenly appear. Is that still the case for you these days? Like how is a Matt Goss song coming to life these days? Well, I think um, so I feel very lucky that I'm prolific. You know, if I go into the studio over there, if I go into the studio, I will come out with something. But I think that it depends. If it's, if it's very painful and it's something extremely personal, usually it will start with a lyric because that's usually the first form of expression for me anyway, where I want to write something that means something, certainly somewhere to fall was exactly about that very thing of needing to rest my strength and finding somebody or needing somebody to where I could just rest my strength and, and be vulnerable and surrender for a second in a safe place. And I think so often we, we, we relate that to losing your strength or being weak. That's just simply not true. 
we all knew, okay, you're the boss, I'm, I, and tell me it's going to be okay. Um, we all need those that person. We and I think that for a healthy relationship in family and certainly in a relationship on a romantic level, your partner must elevate you and you must elevate them. And and sometimes I'm saying, if you love someone, let them sleep. You know, what I mean, like sometimes just being there for them to sleep in a safe place and knowing that you've got their back um, is important. And I think songwriting comes from a very truthful place and it comes from usually a very isolated place. And the beauty for me in writing a song is that somewhere of such isolation will always translate into a very public mad place. Or when you write a song, like if I was to write a song here or in my studio just on a piano in complete solitude. And then recently by the second chorus of the beautiful unknown at the show I did in London, they're singing it back to me. Um, at that very moment, it no longer belongs to you anymore. So that never gets old when some, when, when people start singing back something to you that is really new to you even. Um, you, that's when you hand it off and it becomes something much bigger than you. Isn't it amazing those like, personal things that evolve into these universal stories. And I think that real power of vulnerability that comes through in a lot of it too is so important because we're all kind of taught to, you know, it's fine, we're all fine, get on with it and don't show anyone how you're feeling and all of this. And it's really unpacking a lot of that toxicity. So I think it's a really, really authentic way to write and clearly another reason why fans connect with it after many, many decades at this point. So there's definitely something to that. It's incredible. Well, I think that, thank you. I think that, that, how can you possibly get to know anybody if you don't, they don't call it tripping in love, do they? They call it falling in love. You got to be prepared to break every single bone in your body, but have faith that that person will catch you and whoever that person is. And the, the longer that you don't divulge the truth to your partner or your friends, or is the longer that you don't have that you deny yourself of a true friendship or a true love. Uh, perfectly put and I think I might need you to become my relationship and personal counsel <laughs> life coach after this this is yeah it's but I'm, it's so I'm true available. excellent like a cup of tea and biscuits I'm, I don't oh. charge like just two cup of tea and biscuits I'm good oh brilliant I have both of those so somehow I'll get them through the <laughs> zoom to you <laughs> but with a lot of this too like another really exciting thing is you mentioned at the start there are a lot of live shows in the not too distant future and I have also read some exciting news that Australia is near the top of your list for some of these shows. It obviously will not be the first time you've been here when you can actually get into the country, but can you tell me what the reception was like the last few times? Yeah, I, will say, I will say to Australia, and this is probably, I hope this is going to go down right, but I think it's time that Australia opens up, opens up a little bit now. Yeah. And no, but I really do. I mm. think that, you know, there's, I think we're at that point where, I think I've definitely felt the morale in Australia and I, I think it's time to just use some common sense now and with good vaccination laws in, in, in regulations in place, I think Australians need a bit of a break. And, it, and listen, I'm not being irresponsible when I say that, but um, not just because I want to come there, but, you know, I think there needs to be, there's, I think it's good to be prideful that you guys handled it with great care and, and, with concern but now i think you're at a point where you need to start letting us musicians in as long as we're we're COVID free but um i think it's time to start living again i really do i think australia let's go 
Thank you. And can we yell that from the top of a couple of buildings so that people hear it? Because we are, yeah, I think the frustration here is definitely at that pitch, fever pitch. But I mean, yeah, I think. I sense, I sense that there's a fatigue in Australia. And I understand if there was, there were not, well, we, well listen, we're making progress with this thing and we're understanding it a bit more. And, and obviously if people are responsible still, but yeah, I, I definitely sense the fatigue in Australia. And I think it's, it's actually kind of heartbreaking, really. I think it's, you know, you guys are not robots. You're human beings and you need to be kind of slightly more considered. And I, I'm i speaking as, as a foreigner, so I may not have the right to say that. But just as an observation, I think it's time that you start opening up and, and just, you know, that the people are allowed to be sensible and, and allow the arts to come back to life and enliven one of the, my favourite countries on this planet. So... Yes, uh, I tell you what, live music is just something we are so hanging for. So the second, the second we can make this happen, the second we keep yelling this out, we will <laughs> open the about, doors for we're, you. We're to, uh, and me and my team, we're talking about like March time, around March time to come to Australia. And I just can't wait. I mean, not just to play music, just to enjoy your culture and the way that you, the, the way that you address life and the way that you, I don't think I've ever felt more, more welcome from a, by a country before in my life. And I've missed it and I want to come back and I just want to hang out. Yay. Well, I guarantee the welcome will be very, very warm. So it, nothing's changed in that respect, I promise you. <laughs> Stick around after this short break for more Matt Goss magic, including how he gets gig fit, his iconic Las Vegas residency, and some advice for younger musicians after a lifetime under the fame microscope. That and more after this. Love music? Press play. A new release podcast from Euphony. Each week, Press Play rounds up the best in new music landing in stores and streaming services. Catch all the latest album, EP, and single news, as well as a roundup of reissues, anniversary, and vinyl releases. Host Tiana Speeder is joined by a panel of knowledgeable music experts alongside artists discussing their new releases. Visit euphony.com.au or listen to Press Play on your favorite podcast platform. Tell me you have such an insane amount of live performance experience under your belt, obviously, like both in a band setting and as a solo artist. Like how do you get gig fit for these like very dynamic and grueling shows? Like has your prep altered significantly in your solo staff or what's the go there? Um, I, I, I've never had a, drug, done, had a drug in my life, never had a cigarette in my life. I still maintain that uh, belief system where I like to put whatever goes in my body is, is pure and, and um, uh, I, have, I like to have a drink now and then. It's but I am, you know, lost my sister to a drunk driver. Was killed by a drunk driver. So I think that I have kind of approached life not just for live music, but just because I am so grateful for my next breath. You know, I'm not as I said before. I live in this constant state of wonderment, and because everything is enough for me. I'm looking at the trees right now and the grass outside my window. That is enough for me. I don't need it enhanced. And when I do live music, you know, to stay fit, I, I drink a ton of water. I, I hit the bag. I box now for 22 years. Um, I love to be able-bodied. I love to be able to, I want to be able to fight. I like to be able to run. I like to be able to swim. Um, and when I, you know, when the F, replaces the, the the m and i become fat ghost and i just have to just cut down on the burgers <laughs> you know <laughs> and i just oh. it's, just have to cut back a little bit on the chocolate 
but you know what all in moderation you know I, I keep myself very very healthy but sometimes you know COVID had its way with me a little bit and and I had to go up a gene size and now I'm slowly heading back to my fighting my fighting weight again but we all we all struggle with it but yeah just enjoy your life but just don't abuse it that's it it's all moderation I don't think COVID counts either I think we all get a free pass with that I definitely have lost my abs and I now I have an ab Hey, it's what it's still an ab legally. Still have an ab, which which is which is good, you know. Yeah, I can, hey, it's better I can than nothing. About, yeah, I can just about tense tense my ab now. So yes, here we go. Well, we're starting at one. Let's see how many we got by the time you come out here. I'm sure it'll be back to a nine pack or something by that point. No, no I don't think it will be. <laughs> well, that's all right. We'll look after you when you come here. But um, another thing I've read you say, which I love, is that when you're on stage, it's the safest and happiest place for you. Like you've obviously gone on since your very amazing early days to absolutely slay in Las Vegas. Like people have described it as the greatest show Las Vegas has ever seen with your residency. And I liked in the docker, you said that, you know, when you went there, you kind of everything you think you know about the music industry, you have to start again when you went to that town. What was the biggest learning curve there about the music industry and yourself from the Las Vegas residency stuff. I think everything you know about the music industry in Las Vegas, you have to burn because it is literally, it's a, it's a universe unto itself. I think one of the main things is that you learn very quickly. You have to burn your ego at the door because, you know, you're in some ways, yeah, your, your fan base is going to come and see you, but you're also going to get people that have read reviews or read TripAdvisor. And it's like, you're like, trust me, it's not something I enjoy even to this day, but, um, sorry it's it's um it's not something i enjoy to this day but it, what it does teach you very quickly is do you want to be famous or do you want to be an entertainer do you want to connect with an audience what do you want you know, the instant graphics you know the instant perks of having a hit record you vegas is all about learning your trade even if you think you know what you're doing you i think vegas can teach you so much about composure on stage that you have more time to speak than you realize and you can have a conversation with your audience rather than just playing hit after hit. It's it's a very, very a profoundly incredible town when it comes to learning your craft as an entertainer. And it taught me more than any city or any gig, including Wembley Stadium or the O2 with my brother. This town has taught me how to transform an audience when they might not, might not necessarily want to be transformed yeah. or transported, I should say. But yeah, I, I have great, I have a great respect and love for this town. Well, I think it comes back at you. I've heard nothing but rave things, and yeah, your legacy there will last a very long time, up there with all of the greats, and probably superseded some of them by all accounts. So that's an incredible thing to have. And I'm doing an interview for the BBC to talk about Adele's residency. So I'm really proud that another another Brit's coming out and yes. and, and doing her thing. So I'm looking forward to her to be here. Yes, bring it on, take it over. More Brits in Las Vegas, I say. <laughs> and I think going down the whole live music thing as well, like you guys did mention the doco, the show in Newcastle, which was like a very early broth show and kind of what you guys said was that there were sparks in the air and you realised something might happen. Do you recall what it was about that show that felt different? Like what was it that had that magic and like you kind of were like, oh, there's something here? Well, Back then, there were the cameras in in the TV studios were really big, <laughs> and they were being knocked over. And 
you know, cameramen were being crushed and, and there was no, for no good reason. We were just singing, I owe you nothing or when will I be famous? I forget what song it was, but I remember there was just, it was absolute mayhem and, and for no good reason. And we were like, what is this? It was just this fever that came over the audience and also the people that were involved in actually making that, that special um we had not technically had a hit at that point and but we were being covered by the press and it was starting to build and um that's where bros mania actually came about was it was from that show people said it was comparable to a bit to be all mania not my words and you look at the footage of stuff and you look at what's going on around it, it's absolutely accurate. Like it's the, that level of mania, for lack of a better word. There is no better way to put it. Yeah, but that, that term bros mania came from that constant, that constant reaction, whether we had 11,000 people at a record signing or whether we had the same 10,000 plus people at Sydney Airport. It was like that everywhere. And so there was always a conversation with the police and security wherever we went there was never a there was never a venue we went in went into where we didn't have to talk to the police first or even go shopping it was like very strange and in some ways i mean it's not as mad as that but certainly when we when we when we come into the airport and or it's still pretty mad in many places it's very rock and roll to have to talk to the cults before you go shopping i think that's a bit badass personally (laughs) (laughs) it was rock and roll and that's what and earlier and that's what i think that's you don't get you don't join a band to, to not experience that stuff so that's why i'm always grateful for Ross because it gave us such, some of the most rock and roll moments of my of my life and, and, and continues to do so honestly yeah i love that and i guess another factor that you kind of touched on there was obviously the huge press and media attention you guys got from a very, you know, from day one essentially that permeated and there was a lot of stuff going on. Like people talk these days about the tidal waves of media attention and social media, but you guys were surfing like that wave of intense scrutiny and speculation and everything in between and probably at a time when there weren't many avenues to defend yourselves or kind of support yourselves or be able to speak out. And I guess it's interesting to ask you what is some advice that you wish you'd been told in those days and potentially some thoughts you'd offer to younger musicians who were starting out today and battling a different version but their own version of potentially what you guys went through at the time first and foremost back then you didn't have social media so you were always at the mercy of a headline so if somebody said anything about you and i mean anything about you it was considered to be the truth and then you'd have to wait for the next news paper or magazine to try and correct that so you're on this kind of like chasing your tail and it was exhausting. Frankly, it was quite exhausting to try and, you know, you're represented by soundbites. And the, the, the modus operandi back then was to get the sensational headline. That was the modus operandi. So that's all the journalists would care about is to get the headline. Once they got it, pretty much the interview was done. And then the next, the next interview did was to try and correct that headline. But sensationalism was such a big thing. But when Princess Diana passed, the journalism started to become a little bit more responsible. But what has changed since then in, in talking about musicians today, just tell the truth. Because if, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember where the lies are buried. And just be yourself. 
And if journalists get it, what happens now is because of social media, if someone says something about it, you can simply go on Instagram and say, or Facebook or Twitter, wherever, whatever your platform of choice is and correct, correct that story. Therefore you almost force the journalistic hand to actually crack on with having a good conversation with the person they're talking to rather than dig into that sensational uh, headline. Um, so in some ways, many ways, social media has helped um, artists just get to the truth quicker. But in other ways, the level of content that you have to think about, which I'm not good at, um, uh, is just not something that appeals to me. Like, you know, I'll post when I, when I want to or I, you know, I way prefer posting myself rather than a social media team. Um, I don't think my, when somebody does my social media for me, I don't think it resonates like it does when I do it. Um, but I just really like using it as a, as a, as a platform to be truthful about your life. One thing I will, will say though, for anyone out there that doesn't want to share their personal life on social media, that's your God given right to have a personal life. And I've been made to feel awful in the past by not wanting to share my love life on social media. Um, but that is not going to change until I'm married or even then, but I will make a blanket statement if I ever get married. And then but apart from that, my personal life is my personal life. Here, here. And I think that's the thing is a lot of that is lost in what social media actually was, you know, initially starting out as being. And it is about what you want to post when you want to post it. And it's about you putting out there and doing whatever you want. It's yeah. I don't like this whole expectation that you have to be like following these rules and trying to beat the algorithms and, you know, you become this open platform for everyone to just look into. So yeah, I think you've definitely, you've definitely got a good balance of it. And I think as you mentioned too, like it also gave, gave you that chance to connect with fans during COVID as well, which is an incredible thing. And I mean, we don't always, I still haven't seen many people face to face recently. So it's always nice to see another face, even if it's on the screen. So yeah, it's nice to be able to reach out. And I also think people need to be reassured that social media is, let's be honest, it's a snapshot of our life. And don't feel pressure. Do not feel pressure to just put the good stuff up. If you're feeling something, put it up. If it if, if really is something that can, because those moments can really help people too. And that's one thing I learned talking to many, many strangers as well, is that they just wanted to be heard. You know, and it can be used for something that's very honest. If you're, it doesn't just have to be the perception that everything's great. If you're having a crap day, then say I'm having a crap day. You know, if that resonates with you, if not, then just use it for the good. You know, it it it, it doesn't have to be one thing. Absolutely, and it's that authenticity that you have through so many facets of your life that comes through. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful role model to kind of put forward. I think and. I will not keep you here all day. I know I've kept a bit of your time, so I promise I'll start to bring it to a close. But for you personally, like so much has been shown and explored about your life and you've obviously achieved so much and endured so much adversity along the way to get to where you are. But what is one of the proudest achievements that you've had? What is the biggest thing that has moved and shaken Matt Goss to his core? Um, I think just the continuation of surprise, like the, the, the music takes you to places far beyond a hit record and you know singing for the president of the united states that was an incredible experience singing for the queen singing for muhammad ali in his house and having lunch and breakfast with him and um and hanging out with the stones and meeting sinatra and sammy davis and 
just the list is endless and being still being the youngest man to headline Wembley Stadium, uh, you know, you know, and and being able to come to your wonderful country and, and think that maybe four people would have turned up, but it ended up being 10,000 people at Sydney Airport and just, and still being able to talk to you and, and be excited about coming there again. And, and really, I guess what I'm saying is I'm still a contender. I'm still in the game. I'm still neck deep in the music industry. Um, it, it transcends chart positions it, 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 and, and goes into that beautiful realm of memories. And I have been a creator of memories. Therefore, the people I sing for, they've also created memories for me. It's this beautiful reciprocal energy and experience that this music industry has given me, even though it's broken my heart a few times. Um, it's it's kept me company in such a profound way. Mm, and I think back at you, I think there's been so much connection and so much much needed immersion that you've offered and has been brought back in return. So it's a very mutual straight and I think it's a really, really incredible thing that will only continue to strengthen, it seems. You're, there is no off switch here, so it's incredible. <laughs> but given I have brought you on the Green Room podcast today, my final question, what is one item that you like to have backstage in your green room when you're on the road? I know in the docker you mentioned you have your bandana with you when you go to sleep. You also revealed you're quite partial to crystals and a long game of chess with a scotch. I am also a big scotch fan, but what's in your green room usually? Um, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't really say this, but what I do is I always ask for a bottle of Blue Label. Um, and the reason I do that is because I always will, I'll always give that bottle of scotch to one of the roadies or the drum tech or the guitar. I'll always give that. And that's, it's kind of like, it's something that I always ask for. I never drink it. I always give it away. Um, uh, you know, it allows me to give somebody a, 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 a thank you somebody will always resonate with me usually part of the local crew that where i am um so i usually like that's i always ask for that if i'm doing a show and i'll always give it away um oh. it might be a fan it might be a fan outside but that's the one thing in my rider my rider is very very small it mm -hmm. usually involves salt vinegar chris water and a bottle of blue label and some beers for the band my band's rider is more exotic than mine <laughs> i think you just ticked off like all the essentials i need to have in my house at any given time so i'm not i'm not upset about this whatsoever <laughs> that's amazing well matt at the end of the day you are such a living testament that brothers will find a way music finds a way bros finds a way matt goss always finds a way the future the future is bright as well as the present and here is to you the incredible 2022 you have lying ahead i hope it's packed full of joy and music and we really can't wait to have you here so let's keep pushing that message let's get you here and thank you so much for sparing the time today yeah i just want to say before i leave listen everyone listening just start buying into the beautiful unknown tomorrow is going to be a good thing even though it's we, we usually associate the unknown with a fearful place i honestly believe if we collectively believe that it is going to be a beautiful thing then it will be exactly that so until i see you i just cannot wait to see you and i was can't wait to meet you in person and uh, thank you for having me and all my love Thank you so much, Matt. It was such a treat. I'm so spoiled. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dom. As evident throughout this episode, Matt Goss is one of the true gentlemen of the musical world. And honestly, I mean this genuinely. If you haven't already caught After the Screaming Stops on SBS, do yourself a favor. Whether you're a Bros fan or not, this is honestly such a compelling watch. 
And for Matt Goss fans, we do not have to wait too long now until his brand new solo album, The Beautiful Unknown, releases. Head to today's show notes to learn more. A big thank you to Matt for joining me today and being so generous with his time. And he's hoping it won't be too long until we get him gracing our shores for some live shows. But in the meantime, you can grab a watch as well as a listen to this episode. Just search The Green Room with Tiana Speeder over on YouTube if you're in a video mood. Otherwise, head to euphony.com.au to catch up on any previous episodes of The Green Room you may have missed. I'm talking people like Jimmy Barnes, Greta Ray, Middle Kids, and that's what I reckon. Find them all at euphony.com.au or via all the usual podcast streaming suspects. If you like what you're hearing, I would love to hear from you. Drop The Green Room a review on Apple Podcasts and all the likes, shares, subscribes, follows, public declarations for love. Can't even say that word, but they're welcome on The Green Room. We always love hearing from you. But for now, that is it for me today. Have a great rest of your day and I'll catch you next time on The Green Room. Tiana Speeder is a Euphony podcast, created by Craig Trewick, produced by Tiana Speeder and Andrew Mast, hosted by Tiana Speeder, recorded, edited, and engineered by Zig Parker, music by Zig Parker.